Well, thank you to our musicians for a wonderful morning leading us in the worship of Jesus Christ, the risen King. We intentionally take a little extra time on Easter Sunday morning for this celebration of music. And I just take what's ever left over. Of course, that's not much different than any other Sunday morning, is it? When you're the last thing on the program, you take whatever you've got. And uh, this morning, I'm delighted to share with you this wonderful music that praises the risen King, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Paul, and all of your team. Let's open our Bibles together, please, to John chapter 20. Those skeptics who proposed that the resurrection story was a fabrication of hopeful disciples who were wishing for it to be true failed to deal honestly with the historical record. The disciples did not anticipate that Jesus would rise from the grave. They did not even understand the statements that he made to them in those two and a half years they walked with him, that he would rise from the grave. They were not sitting there around the grave waiting for him to come out on that Easter Sunday morning. Indeed, they were secreted away in homes, fearful, mourning, and weeping. Even the first reports of his appearances fell upon largely unbelieving ears and hardened hearts. They were by no means eagerly waiting for him to come forth from the grave. They were not in any frame of mind to concoct a story fabricating the resurrection of their Lord. Indeed, the only satisfying explanation for their dramatic transformation from disillusioned disciples to a bold band of apostles is a factual, historical resurrection of their Lord. They became thoroughly, unequivocally convinced that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Scoffers through the centuries have been unable to refute the historical evidence of the resurrection, not to mention the radical transformation in the lives of his followers. The one who died on the Friday before as the King of the Jews after three days showed himself alive as the king, eternal and immortal. He rose again to reign over his people, and one day to reign over his world. John gives us one account of the Easter Sunday events that we celebrate today. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1 of John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That is John's way of referring to himself. He does not call himself by name. He's the other disciple. Okay? 
And she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. John was considerably younger than Peter. And he came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. When it says that John saw them, it means that he looked in and he clearly saw the facts. That's all that it means. But Simon Peter therefore also came. John sort of rubs it in that Simon Peter got there second, didn't he? Simon Peter got there after a while. Following him, notice that, and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. Now the word beheld here means that he saw and closely observed, but he didn't really connect things yet. He beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first, there's John again bragging about getting there first, to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw. Now here's another word in the original language that means to see and to perceive. It clicked with John. It was just beginning to, but it clicked with him. It connected what was taking place here. He saw, and it says he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now when we put together what Matthew, Mark, and Luke record regarding the resurrection of Jesus, we arrive at a certain order, a sequence of Jesus' appearances on this first Easter Sunday. The first appearance of Jesus was to Mary of Magdala. It's the appearance that we've just read about. The very first one that he appeared to was Mary. 
She was the one out of whom he had cast seven demons, and she had come to faith in him. She was standing at the tomb, stooped down to look in, saw the angels, and then she heard the voice behind her. She didn't recognize that it was Jesus until he spoke her name. And then the second appearance was to the other women who were returning from the tomb with the angelic announcement that they had heard that Jesus is not here. He is risen from the dead. The third appearance of Jesus was apparently to Simon Peter, an appearance that Paul tells us about in 1 Corinthians. The fourth appearance was to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus as they were going home. You remember Jesus walked with them and explained to them how the Son of Man must be killed and rise again from the dead. All of this time they didn't know who he was until that time that they gathered around the table and he broke the bread and gave thanks for it. They recognized him and he disappeared from their, their sight. And then finally he appeared to the gathered disciples that Sunday evening of the first Easter. Our conspicuous claim is that King Jesus was dead. He was dead, dead. You couldn't be more dead than Jesus was on Friday afternoon. He was truly, actually, literally dead, gone. His spirit was no longer there. His body was left, hanging on the tree. Two of his disciples took it down. They wrapped it up in the custom of the day and carried it to the tomb of Joseph where they put it in and closed the tomb up. He was dead, really dead. But King Jesus is alive today. Three days after he died, really died, he truly, authentically, genuinely, actually, historically rose from the dead. And because of that, there are some things that are different. Just a few things. The king lives again, but with a different body. Jesus was born in a fully human body, of flesh and blood and bones. That occurred through the incarnation as he, the eternal Son of God, united himself with genuine humanity. He was born of the Virgin Mary with a real body. He was a real baby, born in Bethlehem, laid in the manger, the Christmas story. When he died on the cross, he died in a fully human body. He was fully and perfectly man, who there took upon himself the sin of all humanity and died. When he bore our sins on the tree, he died in a truly physical human body. And it was that body that was taken down and buried, put into the grave. On the first Easter morning, when the disciples looked into that tomb, that body was not there. That same body that had been buried three days before was gone. The grave clothes were undisturbed except that 
being in a cocoon form, they were slightly sunken because his body was not within those wrappings any longer. The cloth that had been placed over his face was rolled up and away from it, over to the side. The body of Jesus was gone. That same body was raised from the grave. But it was a different sort of body than the one that was buried. It was raised an immortal body, a glorified body fitted for the spiritual dimension. It was a physical body, yet now it was supernatural as well. It was a material body, but it was not limited to this material earth. In that body, Jesus was able to appear or to disappear miraculously. It was a body that was recognizable. It still bore the wounds of his crucifixion. In that body, he was able to eat, to drink, to speak to them. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. It was the very same body as the one that was crucified on the cross, and yet, being raised, it was wonderfully different. Wonderfully different. Paul talks about this a bit in 1 Corinthians 15. Turn over there in your Bibles to that chapter called the chapter of the resurrection where Paul is instructing the believers, instructing us regarding the resurrection. There was a question that was being asked, apparently, and Paul got wind of the question. In verse 35, he repeats it. He says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? He says, You fool. You see, he had not been to Dale Carnegie's course yet, had he? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Here he is comparing the physical body to a seed that is placed into the ground. And there, like a seed, it decays. But in that decay in a seed, there's germination and new life, and new seeds are produced, a new stalk, and eventually new seeds. Now he says the resurrection body is something like that. That body, the physical body, is placed into the ground. But one day, that body is not going to be there anymore, There's going to be a new body come out of it. So it's not that God is going to create a body over here and leave one in the grave. That very body is going to come out of the grave, but it's going to come out renewed. It's going to come out different than the body that was placed into the ground. He goes on to describe different kinds of flesh and glories of different bodies But let me pick it up in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It, the physical body, is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And he reassures us that if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. It was the first Adam who came first in the Garden of Eden. And then it was the second Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus from heaven who came. So he says, the first body we have is like the first Adam. It's natural. But the next body that we'll have is like the body of Jesus, the Lord from heaven. The first man, he says, verse 47, is from the earth. It's earthy. The second man is from heaven. Also is the earthy. So as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And we, that's the living, shall be changed. What is Paul saying here? He is saying that this mortal, natural, weak, perishable body that we live in now cannot inherit God's kingdom. We can't go there in this body. This body will never get us out of this world. It's just made for this world. It will have to be changed some way, and that's what Jesus that's what Paul is talking about. He says that our bodies, through that change, will become like Jesus' body. In one sense, it will be the same body because we will still be identifiable. We will still be us. Hopefully we'll look a little better in some respects. But it will still be genuinely us, these bodies, but raised differently. In a new order, like Christ's. So when you and I read that the king lives again, but with a new body, it means something. Because it means someday we're going to have a body like his. Some of us, on this Easter Sunday, reflect on the fact that we have loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord. And we have laid their bodies their natural bodies in the grave. Because the king lives again, someday those graves are going to open up. And those bodies are going to come out not identical to the way they went in. Supernatural, heavenly, glorious, spiritual. But real bodies will come forth from the grave. And it says that those of us who are alive on that day when the Savior comes to take us to Himself, when the trumpet blows, we too will be changed. We will get our new bodies without passing through the grave on the way there. 
But these natural, weak, earthy bodies will be transformed in an instant. And we'll have the new body and be with the Lord. So on this Easter Sunday, we rejoice that the King lives again. But he lives again with a new body. The kind of a body that all of us who love him and trust him will one day enjoy. It's the kind of a body that we see in John chapter 20 when later Jesus appears in their midst. Just just appears. The doors are locked. He just is there. Suddenly he appears. Miraculously he appears in their midst. But it's the same body that Mary was able to reach out and touch and cling to. Well, the king lives again, but with a new body. But secondly, we see here something else that's different. He has a new relationship. Jesus has been the Lord of Mary and of the others all during his earthly ministry. But now, something's different. Oh, he's still the Lord. He's still the Lord of Mary and all of the apostles. But there's a new relationship that is now established. Up till this time, Jesus has been physically present with his disciples. Now, whether they were up in Galilee, or they were walking along the Jordan River, or they were at the upper room at the Last Supper, he was there with them. Now, he's not going to be there anymore. He says to Mary, stop clinging to me, Mary. I must ascend to the Father. Jesus was going away. Something was going to be different. Before it was a relationship on this earth. Now there's a different relationship. And there's a real advantage to it. Some people say, but why didn't Jesus just stay in the world? The answer to that is that if Jesus had stayed in the world, he could only be at one place at a time. He might be here for the first service on one Easter Sunday, but he can never be here again because there's so many other churches that would want him to come as a special guest on Easter Sunday. So he'd have to be all over the place, you see. The advantage of his going away to heaven is that now he can be with all of us all the time, everywhere, as our Lord. He is in heaven, but he came by his Spirit to indwell us. He said, I will never leave you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So because he went back to heaven, he's with all of us all the time. We have a new relationship with him in that sense. And so did the apostles. Forty days later, he was going back to heaven. He was leaving them, and yet he was going to come and be with them all and unto the end of the age. But there's something more here that I see in what happened in this conversation with Mary. Not only does he have a new presence with them, but he has a new family relationship with his own. Before Jesus had said to them, he called them apostles. He said, uh, you're my servants. Just a few days before this, he said, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. Now notice what he says in verse 17. Go to my brethren 
and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. What Jesus is telling Mary is that he has a new relationship now with his own. No longer are we even friends. We're family. We are family. He says, go to my brothers. My God is their God. My Father is your Father, he says. What a wonderful new relationship that we have. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, because of this relationship, we are heirs with Christ. We're a part of his family. We're his brothers. And we are going to share his inheritance. And by the way, that's merely everything. That's all it is, just everything. And he says he's going to share it with us. Because we are family with Him. We are privileged to call God our Father. Now Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. But He has introduced us to a relationship also so that we can genuinely call God our Father. We are God's royal family. We are the royal family of the new order that's coming. The order of the things that will be in the next age. And we are privileged to be part of the royal family. Lowly, ordinary people like most of us. And God has called us to be his children, to be part of his family. Do you know the king that way? Can you call God your father? Have you been born into his family? You know, we aren't Christians just because we go to church a few times a year or because we've undergone some sort of ordinance or ritual. Christians are Christians because of a relationship. A relationship with God whereby we can call Him Father because we've been born into His family. And we're born into His family through faith. By believing and trusting in Him. But as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them He gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Have you believed in Jesus Christ in that saving way? Have you received Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior? If not, how about today? Because God wants you to know this special family relationship that belongs to all of those who are Jesus' brothers. And He wants you to have the hope of the resurrection so that if you would die, you would know that one day you were going to stand in that body once again before God and be invited to enter into His kingdom and to reign with Him. You can have that hope today if you will trust him. There was a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan some years ago that put up a sign on Easter Sunday and it said on the sign, Our God is alive. Sorry about yours. That sounds a little braggadocious, doesn't it? And yet I understand what they meant because there are so many who worship dead gods. And they even claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but their religion is empty. It's dead. 
We're talking about a living Savior, a King who is alive again. We're talking about a relationship with Him. Is your God alive today? The God that you truly serve and worship? Jesus Christ is not the I was. He is the I am. He is the one who was truly dead, but who three days later truly rose from the grave. He is the king who gave his life as a ransom for all people. He is the king who lives again to save all of those who will come in faith to him. Will you come that way this morning? And if you have, will you let the joy of the Lord fill your heart about who he is and who you are in him? Will you recognize that you're part of his family? Will you rejoice in his kingship, recognizing that that means that you're part of what it means to reign in the kingdom? You're going to reign with Christ? Will you allow your heart to be filled with the joy of knowing that someday this earthly, physical part of you is going to be changed to be like his body? Let's pray together. And if you're here today without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you open your heart right now before you go? Would you recognize your need of Him? He came in the world to save sinners. If you understand that you're a sinner and your heart is broken over that and you bear this morning the load of your guilt, Know that Jesus Christ has borne that load that you might not carry it anymore. You may come to him right now and receive him into your heart, into your life as an act of faith. Will you do that? And if you're a Christian, if you have trusted Christ, is the joy of the Lord in your heart today? The joy of the resurrection? Do you know who you are? Are you living like it? If not, will you come to him on this Easter Sunday and say, Lord Jesus, my heart is filled with doubt, like those disciples. My heart is even hardened, like theirs. But I recognize that you rose from the dead, and I come in fresh dedication of my heart and life to you on this Easter Sunday. Oh, friend, how he would delight and you're coming to him that way this day. Father, I pray that all of us will respond to you this morning in such a way that as we leave here, we will not only be able to sing that you're the king, but we will experience that in our own hearts. You'll be in control on the throne of our lives, and we'll be off. We pray that you will Speak to the friends here without Jesus. May they at this moment trust Him. And Father, as we go from here, may all of us go in the joy of the Lord, rejoicing that You are the King who came and died and rose again and who's coming again soon. And may that joy fill our hearts this Easter. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to sing together number 228, Rejoice, the Lord is King. 
We're going to sing verses 2, 3, and 4. All right? Number 228. 228. 